Hello, Fight Fans. It is time for the Monday Morning Analyst here on Monday, April 17th, 2017. I am the host of this podcast. My name is Luke Thomas. Thank you so much for watching. Three parts to the podcast as usual. In the first segment, we go through an overview of the weekend's action. In the second part, we take a look at one fight or a couple in particular with some multimedia evidence. And in the third part, we take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead. But not a moment to lose here, so let's get right down to it. Three events we're going to take a look at from this past weekend. It's two of them very quickly, one a little bit more in detail. Uh, Bellator 177, Ryzen FF5 Sakura, and then of course UFC on Fox 24. Let's start with the big stuff first and then go down to the little stuff towards the end. Okay. UFC on Fox 24, UFC on Fox, Johnson versus Hayes. UFC Kansas City, whatever you want to call it. This took place at the Sprint Center in Kansas City, Missouri. It had an attendance of 12,171 for a gate of 1.081 million. It did terrible ratings, uh, lowest ever for overnights for a UFC on Fox. Some attributed that to the double playoff competition, both hockey and basketball. There is no doubt that it certainly contributed. However, there's also no doubt that... Um, the main attraction and the card generally, while a hardcore fan's delight, just simply didn't have enough name value to attract a wider audience. But that leads me to my opening point about Demetrius Johnson. Now, this is a podcast really about fighting and fight techniques and fight strategy and that kind of thing. And I'm going to keep it that way. But I'm just going to say, like, my response to Twitter about the bad news was, look, it does make sense, particularly if you're an MMA journalist, to pay attention to ratings, to see what kind of interest there is in a product that will tell you about where it will go and what it could potentially do and why certain people find themselves in different positions in their career. MMA is a sport that is lower to the earth than I think some of the other sports here, at least in North America. I don't worry so much about NFL ratings. They still commonly top 20, 30 million viewers for a Sunday, but MMA, things can go away very, very quickly. So it's always, or things can change very quickly anyway. So it always makes sense to pay attention to ratings. But in this particular case, this is the best pound-for-pound pound fighter competing today. There's just no doubt about it. Nobody can do what he does. Now, whether or not you want to say he's better than GSP or he's better than Anderson Silva as a as a function of who he has beaten, that's a tougher argument to make. I do, you know, folks don't remember that when Anderson Silva was around, especially during like the Cote fights or the Talos Lighties fight, how much people used to say that middleweight sucked, and so he him being that good didn't really tell us a whole lot. In hindsight, that might sound crazy. I can tell you, as someone who was covering the sport back then, that was a very common sentiment that was expressed by a portion of both the media and the fan base alike. So take that for what it's worth. I do think that these fighters are better than people think, but at the same time, I can understand why folks may not hold him as in high regard in terms of his record of achievement as some of these other guys. But as somebody who can do what he does, as someone who has as much skill offensively and as much skill defensively, and has, as we talked about previously in the live chat, the, the floor of his skill in any department is so high. Like, the worst he gets at anything is still high. It's not He's not bad at any one thing. He doesn't have these real liabilities. And so as a consequence, what he's able to do is overwhelming. Um, in that sense, he might be the very best who's ever done it. But wherever you lie in that debate, Demetrius Johnson, I don't really care if he doesn't do ratings anymore. I am done policing his ratings. I'm done policing his popularity. I'm just going to accept him for the extraordinary talent he is, and I'll let everyone else worry about um, what can be done about those issues. I just care about what a treat it is to watch him. And he beats Wilson Hayes at 449 of the third round. I mean, what can you really say? He was, I, you know what? I went back and I watched this fight this morning again. Wilson Hayes was doing a lot of the right things. He was motioning side to side a lot. He was trying to keep busy. He was trying to back up 
um, uh, Demetrius Johnson. He was trying to get him to a point where he backed him up and they could take him down or at least press him against the cage. He was trying to use his footwork to create an outside angle, and none of it ever worked. Like, if you asked Wilson Hayes, what's the most you can do here? You may say, well, look, he should have just gone for the takedown kamikaze style, right? Just, you had no chance on the feet. Just go and try and take him down because you're going to lose one way or the other. You might as well try and, we're not going to lose one way or the other, but chances are you're going to lose. You might as well go out fighting in a way that best speaks to your strengths. We're not talking about any old black belt here. We're talking about an elite black belt in Wilson Hayes, an athletic one too. And um, he just got, he couldn't do anything. He would try to go for a takedown. And what would happen? Demetrius Johnson would automatically not merely stuff it, but stuff it and turn the corner. Uh, when he did get taken down that one time, or at least got his back put on the mat, he was able to get his hips out and behind him, use the wizard to press away. Like he just had a real good cage awareness about himself and never really got put in a position to have to worry about that very often. And by the way, I talked more about this. If you want to see more, uh, go ahead and give a look to my post-fight show on my personal YouTube channel. I'll put the link up right here. You can check that out. I have some additional thoughts about this fight and some of the other ones. But just speaking about this fight generally, um, you know, Wilson Hayes clearly did his homework. I can see why he felt prepared. He did, I think, fight to the best of his ability, but it just didn't matter. The, the moments of opportunity, the offensive recognition that Mighty Mouse had to be able to spot something and then attack it in an instant, whether it was at the very end of a punch, you know, Wilson Hayes throwing crisp tight punches, to be honest, but even then, there you are going to leave the tiniest of window. Mighty Mouse using that right hand to crack him over and over again, disrupt that rhythm, and let him know he wasn't safe there, which probably opened up some other things as well. Even that final sequence, the right hand followed immediately into the takedown. And from that takedown, he is a master of working at side control. And I was watching how he maintained top pressure. It's actually for jiu-jitsu for jiu-jitsu, you can tell Wilson Hayes is better, right? He was getting that underhook and he was sliding that 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 left leg out on top and he was going to get free if this was a jiu-jitsu competition. But what makes Demetrius Johnson so good is that jiu-jitsu for jiu-jitsu, he can't match Wilson Hayes. But MMA jiu-jitsu for MMA Wilson Hayes jiu-jitsu, he probably still can't match but he softens him up for a little bit, gets him down to the mat, and as soon as Wilson Hayes gets an unhook and tries to sit up, now you see Demetrius Johnson resettle his position, start firing elbows, get him to go back down. Wilson Hayes tries to come back up, he threatens a guillotine, forces him to go back down. He matches the offense and strikes of MMA into his jiu-jitsu to nullify the greater strength of Wilson Hayes' jiu-jitsu in a way that overall just made him do what he was able to do. And at the end there, he, you could see Wilson Hayes, all he needed was that hand underneath the thigh for deep half on um, Demetrius. Demetrius instead drives his legs to the opposite side to get three-quarter mount, separates, goes to side control, then to mount again, and then just close the show with that beautifully timed arm bar. Gets it so you can see he adjusts it so that the essentially the thumb would be up and the elbow would be properly positioned. And he gets him to tap right in front of Roberto Godoy, his, uh, the black belt coach of um, Wilson Hayes. Man, that is he's just unbelievable. It's like you're not just beating a black belt on the ground. You're beating a super, super good black belt on the ground. Uh, a champion at, a, at the very highest level. Uh, Wilson Hayes is an extraordinary talent, but if you can soften him up, and you can, you know, if you can show strong jujitsu positioning control, his control, Demetrius Johnson, and side control is amazing. He's really good about holding a head and hip. And even if you are able to sort of recapture and get a butterfly hook in or that underhook that Wilson Hayes was able to, he can just find ways to make you give up those things with vicious, quick, short, accurate ground and pound. 
Demetrius Johnson's incredible. He might be the most talented fighter I think I've ever seen. Just pure, outright talent. The things he's able to do. The, the exhaustive library of skills. Where do you take a fight where this guy is at a disadvantage? And how do you keep him there? Like, you might temporarily get a takedown. He might be better on top than he is. But he can scramble really well. And he can separate really well. And then, oh, and by the way, he's strong in the clinch. And then, by the way, he's back to his feet and he's popping you with his jab where now you have a disadvantage or something like that. There's just so, like... Jiu-Jitsu for Jiu-Jitsu, even MMA Jiu-Jitsu for MMA Jiu-Jitsu, Wilson Hayes is probably overall the, the grand skill of things. You know, back takes, sit-outs, sweeps, submissions, arm bars, chokes. Wilson Hayes is probably still better there, but it didn't matter because by the time that Demetrius Johnson uh, put him down there, uh, he was softened. He was not, I'm saying ready to go, but ready for Wilson to be overwhelmed with some of the other things that, I mean, Demetrius Johnson fights on his terms. That's what he does. Now, in my post-fight show, in my own channel, which, of course, I linked up here, you can see for yourself, there's another aspect I talked about to what makes Demetrius Johnson special. It's He has a really good sense about when guys are about to break. Um, check out my post-fight show for more on that. All right, Rose Namajunas defeating Michelle Waterson at 247 of the second round. This was a great, great job by Rose Namajunas on the ground. You know, I thought that it was some genius things that, Michelle Waterson was to do was trying to do, and she is outsized here, where she was trying to rotate her hips into the fence because you can't if someone rotates if someone rotates their hips this way, you have to cover them. Like whatever direction they rotate, you got to follow. Whatever direction they follow, you because what happens? How do you get an armbar? You get an armbar from the ninety degree twist, right? So if they create an angle on you, that's a problem. But if you cover their hips, there's no armbar straight in front of you. I mean, they can be with a triangle, but you get the idea. They, they need an angle, typically. They need some kind of way to twist underneath you. And so if you can prevent that, you can if you can follow by following their hips, uh, you can do a lot of things. And so she was twisting into the fence where Rose literally couldn't cover. But what, she, what Rose did do was sneak that inside leg to pin the near leg of... Um, of uh, Waterson to never really get her, uh, let her get going, and I thought she had a really disciplined game plan. She didn't really fall too much uh, for the front kicks, uh, front leg side kick of Waterson. She was able to overcome it, get on the inside, and then at the end there, you saw her grab the elbow as she got behind Waterson, throw a couple punches, push her off, and then hit her with a head kick, Holly Holm Ronda Rousey style, and then from there, the back take was sublime. I didn't notice this in real time either. I don't know if the commentators did. I certainly didn't mention this on my post-fight show, but one of her arms was trapped. One of Waterson's arms was trapped because in the course of taking the back, I think it was Waterson who dug it there. I think she was looking for a leg and was trying to rotate over to follow and couldn't, so it got trapped. But either way, vicious, vicious choke. You can see blood pour out of Waterson's nose when she finally snatches it up. She's got a great, she's a great finisher from the back. Rose Namajunas, and so this was a really disciplined game game plan. Um, you know, smart performance from her. She's such a smart fighter. You know, she made big waves with flying arm bars earlier in her career, and you know she can do stuff like that. But that's not what makes her good. What makes her good is that um, she just recognize. She has great offensive recognition. She's got well-rounded skills at well-rounded ranges. She has great ground and pound. You could see they were working this high guard. Michelle Waterson was, but she could never really get it high enough. For a high guard, you almost want the, sh the legs resting on the shoulders. So the person kind of, by definition, to avoid submissions or any further trouble, has to get their arms inside, almost collapse them on themselves. 
and that never was the case. She may have collapsed one arm on one side, but then Nama Yunus would just wreck her with an elbow on the other side. So great job by Rose Nama Yunus. Robert Whitaker defeating Jacques Array, man. How about that? 328 of the second round. We're going to look at this in the second segment. Let's just talk very quickly about that stoppage. I watched it again and again. I can see why Jacques Array might have an issue with it, but at the same time, he was getting banged on several times, dropped several times in that fight, eating head kicks, and he turned his back. Now, he turned his back to scramble. It's more, that's not exactly the same thing as turning your back like what Kimo did when he got hit by uh, Ken Shamrock. Um, Ken Shamrock hit him with double underhooks. Kimo drops and then just sort of like looks away, shows him his back. You know, when someone does that, that's the international signal for I'm done. He turns his back here, but it's not exactly the same thing. But uh, on the other hand, Shaka Ray's 37, man. He was taking a hellacious beating, and Robert Whitaker was on him like white on rice. I really, honest to God, just don't have a problem with it. Um, I, I wish I could say that I did, but I don't. And I think that um, Robert Whitaker's a real special talent. We'll talk more about that in the second segment. Hanato Moicano defeating Jeremy Stevens, 29-28. 28-29, 29-28. Just reminded me a little bit of Alan Joban versus... Um, Platinum Mike Perry, right? It was a little bit of uh, Bull and Matador. Moicano had, was a top prospect for a long time at Bantamweight and Featherweight and has had some injuries that have really slowed his role a little bit, but smart fight here from the uh, Brazilian. Jeremy Stevens, you know, has dropped a couple. I think, I mean, how many has he lost in a row here? Um, I don't know about this, actually. Yeah, he's, you know, he's had some trouble. He's had two wins since, uh, well, he's had three wins since 2014. He beat Darren Elkins, lost to Cub Swanson, lost to Charles Oliveira. Beat Bermudez, lost to Holloway, beat Barrow, and then lost to Edgar and Hanato Moicano. So, a bit of a a tough run there for Jeremy Stevens. Uh, Alexander Volkov defeating Roy Nelson, 30-27 across the board. Nelson can really never get a takedown going. Improved takedown defense. You know, I mentioned previously that you know Czech Congo was kind of probably watching this, being like, uh, "There's a way to win this." But truth be told, um, Czech Congo's takedowns are actually pretty good, and Roy Nelson's they could be better, but they're not they're not great. Um, Volkov's gotten better about getting his hips switched to the side when he's getting pressed in, better about underhooking, better about wizarding. It's like just general level improvement. And as I noticed on Saturday night as well, the he just fights tall. He fights tall in a really good way. Fast, quick snap kicks, good jab, sits behind it, stays on his feet and, and moves around. It's not too, too stationary. It's good to see a tall guy fight tall. That's what you got. Tom Dukenwa defeats Patrick Williams at 28 seconds of the second round. Absolutely vicious performance from him. You know, look. Williams kind of put it on him early with just this avalanche of offense, and it had and slowed it, uh, Duke and Wah down and had made him sort of have to be thoughtful about things and certainly mind his defensive P's and Q's. But at the same time, uh, once he – I mean, look, he set a pace he couldn't keep. And once that fact set in and Duke and Wah was able to take over, you saw what happened. The guy is tremendously talented. Four-year UFC debut in the making. Um, showed, I think, a wide array of skills, but those elbows, god damn – Three over the top on the left, and then a fourth in the right in that first round, and dropped him. Could, probably could have called it there, um, but he went to the second round and then dropped him again with another set of elbows. Like the guy is just—he's got offense everywhere, and it's violent, and it's aggressive, and it's quick, and it's impactful. I look forward to seeing more from him. Rashid Magomedov defeating Bobby Green via split decision: two twenty-nine twenty-eights and one twenty-eight twenty-nine. Just Rashid a little bit lighter on his feet, a little bit more accurate, a little, little bit less hittable. Not a whole lot to say about this one. Tim Elliott defeating Lewis Smolka. People wanted me, by the way, 30-27 across the board, which does not reflect how close this was. People really wanted me to talk about this fight on the Monday Morning Analyst, and I was going to, but there's just so much I couldn't, I couldn't, it was just an overwhelming amount of transitions and submission attempts and back takes and takedowns and 
Um, tough run for Lewis Smolka. Had a great win against Ben Wynn and has dropped three straight. Now, he's fighting tough guys, but nevertheless, it's a bit of a rough run. He's just too willing to give up on the takedown. And he's got all these transitions, but he gets into things and out of things backwards. He's actually told me that personally, and you can go back and watch. You know what I'll do? I'll put the link up to that Ben Wynn versus Lewis Smolka uh, link up here. You should check that out. You can see he gets into things backwards a lot, and that's a problem for him because... You can do that if you're really confusing the other guy and you're a good scrambler, and he is a good scrambler, but Tim Elliott is a great scrambler. And so he would, you know, it's, if you get into a position backwards, you have work to do to then secure it once you've changed top bottom positions or something like that. And so that little window where guys have to do work to claim it, he just gives an opportunity to his opponents every time. And someone like Tim Elliott is just not going to work on that. But, you know, the same thing you saw Demetrius Johnson do, threatening a guillotine to make a guy go back down. Smolka did that against Ben Wynn. He did it against Tim Elliott. It worked a lot. He had his moments with a back take, pounding on him. Like, both guys had – this is, you know, Tim Elliott is absolutely the rightful winner, and the guy's amazing, setting an insane pace. That I'm surprised Lewis Smolka was able to follow. But, um, but you know, he, he just had the better top control. And he had the he had the takedowns whenever he wanted him. Lewis Smoker not fighting him at all. I think it's okay if you're not going to fight the takedowns if you can really do something with it in a very serious way. But if a guy is able to scramble with you like that and has submission defense like that, and you know he had that one Darce, but if you don't have control over that elbow that you're using the Darce arm for, it's just not going to do a whole lot for you. So you know, great performance from both guys. You know, I would hate to see. Um, smoke a cut on this I don't think he will be but you know three losses is tough man it's really tough so both guys are really talented Tim Elliott has had a hell of a resurgence this is a grappling equivalent of a slugfest I really enjoyed it um Aljamain Sterling defeating Augusto Mendez 29-28 this is a redemptive fight from uh, uh Aljamain Sterling getting the takedowns when he needed to really minding his posture never panicking in certain situations you can see that Augusto I mean Augusto Mendez you know, is probably the best grappler on this entire card for jiu-jitsu. Probably has the best jiu-jitsu in this entire card, even better than Wilson Hayes. Um, but, again, MMA jiu-jitsu being a little bit differently, but you can see those omoplata sequences he was setting up to either get a leg or to a sweep or to grab something else, maybe a triangle. He's nasty with it down there. So, um, good job by Aljamain Sterling by staying out of those things, really, really being mindful of his own range, being much more aggressive and committed to the pocket when he struck. Um, there was a lot to like about this from Aljamain Sterling. This was a very tough fight because Tanquinho was no joke. He has strengths in areas of the game where Aljamain has a lot of strengths. And I don't think Aljamain could have really afforded a loss here. No one can really afford a loss in the UFC, but there are times when they're worse than others. And this would have been a bad one. But um, he, 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 he stuck it out and showed what kind of quality he has and how he can learn from you know lackluster or bad performances. And uh, yeah, you have to take your hat off to Aljamain Sterling. Devin Clark showing superior wrestling to defeat Jake Collier, 30-27 with 130-26. Anthony Smith defeating Andrew Sanchez, KO head kick at 352 with the third round. Sanchez, man, Sanchez has good passing. Nice, tight passing, good takedowns. Um, big, strong, athletic kid, but you can tell he was fading. And guys like Anthony Smith, and people don't realize Anthony Smith has had a rough run of it. The guy's only 28 years old, but, you know, look at, I mean, he's got, he's got what, 27-12 and 12 record? It's very deceiving. He's got a loss to Cesar Fajera, Josh Neer, but the Josh Neer one came in 2013. Antonio Braga Neto, a ridiculous grappler, he lost via knee bar. Hadra Gracie, he lost in strike force. He lost to Adlong Amagov, who was back in the day, was he's just an incredible guy out of Russia. Uh, Jesse Forbes, he lost to in 2010. He had four losses in a row 
in 2009 and 10 to some guys you'd never heard of. You know, he had a rough run on that Midwest circuit, man. He fought in VFCs, the, Jesus Christ, Crowbar MMA, Extreme Challenges, made his way to Strike Force, then fought in Victory, went back to Strike Force, went to Bellator for a little bit, back to the regional scene, got the call up at in 2016 for the UFC, dropped the saves off ahead of one. But this is my point. These guys who have been on these kinds of roads where they've just, you know, 28 years old, he's got a ton of miles on them. Nevertheless, man, they have tricks up their sleeve. They have a lot of skills, and sometimes they can't put it all together in the way that someone like Mighty Mouse can, you know, where he just never, hardly, hardly ever makes an error. But they can surprise you. They can surprise you because they've seen a lot, man. They've gotten a lot of looks from a lot of different guys. This guy's 28 years old and has, what, 39 fights? Who God knows how many he maybe have had in, in the street or, you know, in the gym. He's seen a lot, man. He's seen a lot. And so when Sanchez backed up and then ricocheted off of the fence, he was able to time it and catch it perfectly. Now, maybe he was looking for a kick because he thought he was going to angle out, but he, he caught him off the ricochet. Just great timing and awareness and a good decision to throw at that time from Anthony Smith. These things are not obvious. Guys make it look obvious. It's not obvious. And, and you just have to really take your hat off to that guy, too, man. He was on the way to losing that one. You know, I admire his fact that he's able to get butterfly hooks and under, un, un, underhooks and try and stand up. But Sanchez kind of had his way with him a little bit in the grappling department. And um, on the feet, you could tell he had something for him. But, you know, he just waited. He was patient. He didn't lose faith in himself. And he was able to crush him with a, with a brilliant shot. That's a great, great win for, for uh, Anthony Smith. And he earned it the hard way. Um, Zach Cummings defeating Nathan Coy via guillotine choke at 421 of the first round. Mike England is a terrible referee. I talked about that on my post-fight show. You can see that there. But how about Zach Cummings, man? I mentioned I made this point before. I'll make it again. It's one thing for a guy to be like, you know, his striking's not great. And you see an improvement over time where it's like, wow, his footwork's gotten better. You know what? He's more disciplined with his jab. He doesn't raise his chin in the air. And he brings his hand right back to his face or whatever the case may be. Zach Cummings is just better everywhere. Like, I'm not saying he's a perfect fighter. I'm just saying... There's no part of his game that I can look at and say that hasn't improved substantially. Right down to the fight IQ. Like, he just makes awesome decisions about what to do in certain situations. This guy deserves a tough fight against a much better opponent, and I bet he will surprise you because Nathan Coy had nothing for him. The, the punching power that Cummings has, the pocket commitment that he has, accuracy, um, takedown defense whenever he needed it, uh, submission awareness, locking it up quickly, adjusting it on the fly. Zach Cummings is a good fighter, man, and I would really like to see him get some tougher challenges because he deserves it, and he's earned it. And then Ketlin Vieira defeating Ashley Evans-Smith, 29-28, two times, and then 130-27. Uh, your fight of the night was Tim Elliott versus Lewis Smolka, obviously. Performance of the night, Demetrius Johnson and Robert Whitaker. So good for all of those winners. Very quickly, let's talk about Ryzen uh, FF5 Sakura. This took place at the Yokohama Arena. Don't have any attendance or gate figures. Not going to go through the whole thing. Tetsuya Kawajiri defeated Anthony Burchak. Amir Ali, uh, uh, Amir Ali Akbari defeating Geronimo Dos Santos. Doesn't say a whole lot, but he beat him in the first round, through 34 of the first round, and from Mounted Crucifix. Ali Akbari had problems in actual real wrestling, amateur wrestling, due to doping problems, which I know drives the fan base wild, how much they hate that. But um, So I don't know if he's ever even going to fight in the U.S., but... If he does, this is a top heavyweight prospect. He's very, very good. Athletic, quick, tremendous takedowns, naturally good grappler. You know, we'll see where his career takes him, uh, whether he even wants to compete stateside. But the dude is good. Kyoji Horiguchi beating Yuka Matoya like a drum. 
knocked him down, took his back, nearly submitted him, pushed him around, roughhoused him, had this had this dude literally between the ropes over and over and over again. Uh, unanimous decision win for him. Uh, Rina Kubota defeating Dora, how do you pronounce her name? Uh, Periesh, I forget exactly. Brutal. She's a um, shoot boxing champion, which is like kickboxing with throws, kind of like Sancho, uh, or kickboxing with takedowns anyway. Um, and uh, just brutal body shots to the liver. Um, good armbar escape early. She was almost caught dead to rights with a surprise armbar attack. But nevertheless, keep your eye on her from Rena. Uh, how about Tension Nasakawa beating Francesco Jaloti? Uh, I think is how you pronounce it properly. A 107 of the first round. I mean, this guy was just grossly overmatched. But Tension uh, uh, Nasakawa had this one moment where Jalotti was coming out of a corner and firing a 1-2. This dude leans, you know, first of all, backs up, leans, turns a corner, and then fires a left hand and cracks him on the exit. Like, it was brilliant. He stepped away, he leaned, so the punch passes by him, pivots, and then crushes him at an angle. V- vicious. Vicious talent this kid has. Amazing. Um... Uh, Reyna Mura defeating Jazzy Gabbard via armbar. Yusuke Yachi defeating Darren Cruikshank. Cruikshank was coming in and doing well early, and the miking of this ring was really great by Ryzen. But he had this left hook that he had floating out there, uh, Yachi, and he caught him with it over and over again. And then finally, you saw eventually uh, Cruikshank had trouble closing the distance, and the left hook, he actually banged, or excuse me, was it, was it a right hook? I think it was a left hook. I'm kind of having trouble remembering. But anyway, it was a lead hook that he had. And he actually punched him one way and then finished him with the hook the other way. It was kind of cool. Uh, Siori Ishioka defeating Bestare Kisaj. I don't know who that is. Kana Asakura defeating Alexandra Toncheva. And then Seichiro, Seichiro Ito defeating Kazamon Saiga. Whatever. All right. And then in Bellator, last but not least, winners on the kickboxing card. Karim Gaji winning a split decision. Joe Schilling winning a unanimous decision. Raymond Daniels, Daniel, excuse me, knocking out his opponent with a, a spinning back kick in the third round. Yorina Bars absolutely beating the brakes off Irene Martins. And then Gabor Gaborix uh, defeating Gabriel Varga, surprisingly, a split decision. That's a surprising one. On your main card, Adam Borix defeating Anthony Taylor via rear naked choke. Lena Ovchinikova defeating Helen Harper in the second round with a referee. Daniel Weichel, of course, defeating Jonathan T- or John Teixeira, although that was a surprisingly competitive contest, however boring. And then Eduardo Dantas defeating top prospect Leandro Higo also via split decision. Um, so there you go. It was a catchweight fight, so it was only three rounds. Okay, with that out of the way, let us go to the second segment where we're going to take a look at how Robert Whitaker got the signature win of his career and has now catapulted himself into space where he is a legitimate UFC middleweight contender. Let's do that now. Jacare versus Whitaker. Let's take a look at how Robert Whitaker got this done. Now, we're not going to look at every single piece of this fight, but some of the bigger highlights, some of the things that tell the story of the fight, from defensive actions to offensive actions from both guys. Early on, this is your story. Jacare, early and often, quite honestly, Jacare stalking Robert Whitaker trying to find an opening, mostly counterfighting on the feet. He was waiting for Whitaker to do something and either catch him with his own strike or, I think more commonly, trying to see if he can find an opening for a takedown. Um, neither of which really ever came. 
And on the right side, you see Robert Whitaker. A couple of things you want to notice about this. Number one, he's bouncing. You can see him up in here. He was doing a lot of this. Now, not heavy bouncing, but, you know, nice and light on his feet. Number two, and look at the range here. He's at kickboxing range mostly, right? Why? Well, probably for a lot of reasons. He wants to stay as far away from Jacare as possible without giving up some kind of tactical advantage. And what it requires is him to be on the outside here. And if you got, because if you're in boxing range, you're in takedown range. So if you're at kickboxing range, you're not at takedown range. And you probably have an advantage if you're Robert Whitaker at this distance. But what it requires is him to lunge in a couple of times. Brian Stan noted it. But there'll be a couple of examples we'll look at where you can see that he's able to do that quite effectively. Sometimes he misses a lot, but it didn't really matter. Over time, he was able to either get Jacare to freeze or to gauge his reactions or to just constantly batter him without Jacare being able to follow up without any kind of response. Now, there were some things that Jacare I thought could have done differently. He could have gotten off first, and you'll notice he never really throws any kicks. He throws a couple up the gut, some push kicks occasionally, but he never really attacks this lead leg of Whitaker's, which I think is a traumatic, or a very, very, I shouldn't say, well, maybe, maybe it is traumatic, but it's also a dramatic mistake as well. So let's go through these slides again. Not everything, but some highlights, all right? And keep in mind this distance here. This will be a lot. He doesn't always operate at this space, but he operates at this space for the majority of the bout. All right, so here we are. He's looking on. I want to notice a couple things that he does. This is more defensive work where he's able to exit out at angles. He did it a lot in the first round. Here you see him looking. He's lowering his level a little bit, sort of leaning side to side. Here he is. Is he, is he going to punch? Is he fainting? Let's see. All right. He jabs this time. I think he reaches Jacare not super heavily, but he does make contact. What does he do? All right. He reaches out of the way. He leans back. He's got his hand up to protect him. He's got his eyes on Jacare. He's going to throw a left hook as he's leaning back and getting out of the way. And then anticipating a response from Jacare, he's going to get under it. He's going to sort of duck uh, or almost bow here, anticipating a left hook counter from Jacare that never comes. So to get out on his own, he doesn't just merely exit. He throws a strike while he exits, and this one lands. Really sort of very technical stuff. And look, boom, he's gone. And he's on the outside. Really nice stuff. It's not He had great anticipatory skills, number one. And when he sort of overdid his homework... He nevertheless stuck to the basics, didn't merely exit out, exit out with a strike, catch the guy while he's sort of not expecting it, catch him as you're leaving, make him worry about something while you're worried about something else, and he does it, right? Very, very good stuff. He did this a couple of times in the fight. Not exactly this way, but pretty similar. Okay, just 30 seconds later, here he is. They're facing off. Let's see again. You can see not exactly at punching range here. Kind of far apart. He's going to lower his level. Whitaker is. He's going to faint and faking the whole time getting reactions out of Jacare, get him to cover up, seeing what he does, seeing how he reacts, and building offensive responses around it. All right? Kind of leans in. What does Jacare do? Puts his hands up. And see, you can see where his elbow... Look at how upright, too. I mean, his, his base is lowered a little bit, but one thing you notice from Jacare throughout the course of this fight is he's standing upright a lot. Very, very upright. Makes him a lot more hittable. So, seeing this... I mean, look, there's all different kinds of things you can do here uh, to Jacare. So, what does he do? When he actually wants to commit, he throws. You can see he drops the hand, lean down. Jacare doesn't know if it's coming to the body. He doesn't know exactly what's coming. This is what Whitaker would do. He would lean in and put this hand right around his, his elbow, right around his waist and his hand on the side, and he would come hook to the body. He'd hook to the head. He'd come straight up and then drive an uppercut. He would do lots of different things with it, but it would all kind of come from the same position. So Jacare really never was able to get a sense of what was going to head his way. 
and this time he whips it around. Now, Jacare had the right idea about defense, but these gloves are so small, if you're really not precise with it, you're going to get nailed. So this left hook finds a home. Really good stuff. This sort of shows you that the system of attack that Robert Whitaker had. He would fake, he would faint, he would try something, he would disguise the way in which he would throw something, and then commit ultimately to an opening that he recognized. Right? That's what he would do. Now, Jacare tries to attack him. Again, Robert Whitaker evading, keeping his back off of the fence. Did a really good job of this. Watch how he does it. He's going to duck and watch the same thing. Or, he's, you know, it's not exactly ducking, but, you know, he's going to sort of lower his level here. And he's going to throw a left. As he exits out, you can see Jacare tries to grab him this time. So he rotates and turns into him, pushes down the head, and separates. Now, this is a little bit later in the fight. Jacare locks up a spot with him here. All right. Now what's he going to do? Now he's down with him here. Sort of try. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. When you grab the the ankle like this with your foot, you can kind of drag them out a little bit. You can then drag them out and then double off at an angle. If the fence wasn't here, you could drive straight into it. It'd be a lot of things you can do. I would kind of expect him to go this way, right? Because he's taking this away from the from the from the sort of the structure of the architecture here. Um, but he can't because what eventually happens is Whitaker frees himself. Right now, he's going to split his base. And he's going to get sort of hip to the wall here. So what does Jacare do? Jacare is going to pull him in and then roll over to come out, come out on top. This is something you see Demi and Maya do. Not exactly this particular effort, but these sort of sacrifice throws. A sacrifice throw is when you go to your back to score a throw. Um, and this is not exactly a throw. It's more sort of a roll through. But it's still going to his back. That's why they call him a sacrifice throw. So it's kind of like a sacrifice throw. Right? There he is, boom, right on his back, right? I mean, there's there's a risk involved in doing something like that. And he rolls through. But look at what Robert Whitaker does to nullify everything. If you can stop the structure of something before it ever really gets started, even if you're technically outmatched on the ground, I mean, it's it, it, jiu-jitsu is not magic. Wrestling is not magic. It is structural. It is real. It is scientific, and if you can begin to stop something before it starts, in terms of how a structure is built and a foundation, doesn't matter what they try to do after that, right? Watch. What do you notice here? Why is this not working? Jacare's got this leg hooked. He should be able to turn right into him and come out on top, but he can't. Why can't he? Because of this. He has wrist control, and it's not merely wrist control as such. What it does is, that, number one, it blocks the shoulder from coming out underneath, and it blocks this body from rotating. So he can't really go anywhere. He's kind of locked. He would like to be able to roll through. That's what this that's what sitting through is that is that for you sit through like a baseball slide and then you come out on top, but he can't come out on top because this locks Whitaker in place to his back. So he just comes up right with him. That's exactly what he does. So Jacare is like, let me see if I can try something else from this position to keep going. Because, you know, Jacare is not going to get off you that easily. What does he do? He then sits back. Watch, look at this. He's going to sit to a hip and try and pull himself into a position where he is sort of behind and to the side, almost like a turtle position, on Whitaker. But Whitaker is still not letting go of anything. He's still got that wrist. And Jacare can't really get a control of this leg because the knees are under him of Whitaker. So what is Jacare really controlling here? And I apologize for the smaller picture. What is Jacare really controlling here? Nothing. There's no part of his body that's being controlled. Look at that. He's still got the grip on the wrist. So Jacare got into a good advantageous space, 
but without being able to lock his hands or put his arms in more strategic positions or really any kind of position to manipulate the weight or body parts of Whitaker, it doesn't do him any good. Look at this. He's got nothing. He's got absolutely nothing. So what does he do? He stands up. Ordinarily, he'd probably try and trip him backwards, and maybe he could have done it, but his head's kind of getting wrenched over. He still doesn't have a grip of his hands. How are you really going to turn someone just by gripping their hip? You're not dancing with a girl. You're wrestling with a guy. So you just can't really just grab someone's hip and yank them behind you. You need to grip up your hands. Robert Whitaker never allows that grip of the hands to take place. And, uh, you know, we all talked about sort of the blocking mechanism where his shoulders and his back come into play as well. This is this is brilliant from Robert Whitaker. Shut down the whole thing before it started. He's not going to play jujitsu for jujitsu with you. He's going to lock up an essential grip, which he will use to help him scramble because it will prevent Jacare from creating any kind of stable structure. It's... This is, this is elite prize fighting. All right, so he gets him back up against the fence. And he gets an inside trip here, right? Because Jacare's not done. He's tough, man. Jacare's tough, you know? Uh, and this looked like, I, I was like, oh, man, now he's got him. All right, now he got, you know, Robert Whitaker had a nice little run there. But that the, the, the control of the wrist is gone. Jacare's going to have his way with him, right? Here he kind of shrimps up. And I was like, oh, man, Jacare's going to take him out here in an instant. But he doesn't. He gets here. And I'm thinking, oh, this is okay. Now is going to work his game. But Robert Whitaker doesn't panic and does a lot of really interesting things as he sinks this deep hook. Now look at this. This is a deep hook right here. But he doesn't really have anything. I mean, he gets get the hook here, yes. But you would want to have something on the other side of the body to help you control. You would want to have some kind of structure to help anchor this hook up top. And remember how it goes. The hand that goes across the neck, if it's not choking, it's going to the chest. That's the one that goes on the chest. And then the other one hand goes on top of the hand. In other words, this would have to go in the chest because it's sort of around the neck, and the other one that goes under the arm would then help in pushing the right hand into the chest, but he never can get that going. He's never really able to create a, a proper grip here. And this is the other key consideration. Now the hook is in, he's trying to get the other hook in. Okay, that's something, but look at what Robert Whitaker does as Jacare puts the left hook in. He drives his right leg back, so now Jacare's lost that hook. So now Jacare has no hook on this side, and on this side you can see he kept his hand right by his face, so he's ever never really able to get that proper backpack, that proper over-under control. Again, hand that goes over the neck, that's the one imagine if there's a knife in there, that's the one that stabs the heart. In this, this case it would be the right hand, close to the chest, left hand goes on top of the right hand in this particular case, but he's never really able to make that, so what happens? Look at that, he's trying to grip up, but he can't really get where he needs to, there's nothing anchoring him on this whole right side. So what do you think Robert Whitaker's gonna do? Whoop, throw you off of his left side because there's nothing anchoring you. And then of course he steps away. All right, there you go. Now we're still in the first round. Here's Robert Whitaker, still Jacare. Look how nice and tall he is in this one. When I say nice, I don't mean nice like I'm. Like, like this is good for him. This is very bad for him, but look at him still committed to it. Still committed to it, nice and tall. Robert Whitaker, hands by his Elbow by his uh, waist, hands down, anticipating a shot, and setting up all different kinds of attacks behind his posture. He leans in with a one, drives in, misses with a two. This is what I'm talking about where he's really jumping into position, and sometimes it caused him to overcommit here. One of the errors he was making, everyone was like, he fought a perfect fight. He fought like an A++ fight. He didn't fight 100%. Um, no, I, Almost no one ever does. Even Johnson got hit a couple times in his fight with Wilson Hayes, right? So... So then you see this. 
And then he throws a left here in this clinch to push him off. And it knocks it knocks Jacare down, but it doesn't actually land like a punch. Right? Here's another one. I want to show you something here. This is what I mean when I say, I don't know why Jacare didn't throw any kicks in any kind of advantageous way. Look at how heavy on the left leg Whitaker is. Not merely through this whole fight, but in this particular moment. Right leg is up almost like he's throwing a baseball from the pitcher's mound. Right? That, I mean, look at that. I mean, he's got his hand... Excuse me, his hand way over here. This leg is taking a ton of weight, and this one's up in the air. I mean, usually you don't want to leave your feet like that for a jab. But he's collapsing a lot of distance at once. He's trying to get Jacare to react to him. I mean, there's reasons why he did it. I'm just saying, if you really go after this lead leg, and this, and he's trying to keep a game plan where he's keeping distance from you, you will take that away from him. Now, he might be able to adjust from other things. I'm not saying he can't win, but he had free reign here. No one ever really did anything to this leg, so he's able to put a ton of weight on it for long-range jabs or anything else he really needed to. Here's another one. He's going to fake. Now we're in the second round, beginning of the second round, right? What's he going to do? He's going to, hands down, he's going to flash, right? He's going to throw the one, and before this, he threw a left hook, by the way, right? So he, we start this round off with him throwing a left hook from the same kind of thing. Fink gets a reaction from uh, Jacare, throws a left hook. Then he does the same thing again. He fakes. Th this time, throws a jab behind it. Boom. Then the right hand. This looks like the right hand doesn't land because at this point when I in the slide, when I took the picture, it had kind of slid off this direction, but it lands absolutely flush. Why? Because the first time, he threw a hook. The second time, he threw a one-two. Looked exactly the same to Jacare when it was coming down the pike, so he totally wasn't ready for it. Boom. Knocks him on his ass. Follows up and uh, you know did, did some damage to him, but Jacare gets back up. Now, here's what he does. As Jacare stands back up, flashes the left, throws the right, doesn't quite land it, but he's still going to stay on Jacare. You would think he might throw the left here, but I think he put so much weight on that left leg, he couldn't really swing it around. So as Jacare backs up against the fence, he jabs, he anticipates a reaction from Jacare. You can see Jacare sort of winding up and telegraphing here, right? And he, look at this. This is why you, they all, boxers tell you to keep your shoulder close to your jaw. This would have landed on him otherwise. Now, maybe not directly on the jaw, but certainly on the face. And because Whitaker keeps his chin tucked, I mean, you see it a little high here, but tucked enough, and he keeps that shoulder to protect him in front of it, the punch lands on the shoulder and slides off. Great job. You don't see a lot of guys in MMA really able to... You see it in boxing all the time where guys are able to really tuck themselves inside the confines of their shoulder wall. And Whitaker does it here. I mean, this is great, great stuff, right? Jacare shoots, it goes nowhere. All right, here we are again. Look, it's the exact same posture. And he's a little bit closer now, but this is still semi-kickboxing range, right? What's he going to do? He's going to flash the jab. Look at where the hands come out from Jacare. He never really brings his hands by his ears. He just kind of puts an X and sticks his hands out in front of him. Boom. Leaves the room for an uppercut. Why? Look at this gap. You could come around the side. You could throw this and then throw another left hook. But there's this giant hole in the middle. So rather than trying to come up the side, rather than throwing a left hook, which he'd already done before, crack him right upside with the uppercut. He left a giant opening for it. Here we go. Whitaker, sensing the end might be near, is now the one stalking. Remember? It was Jacare who was stalking the whole first round. The tables have turned now in the second round. Here he is. Same thing again. Look, it's the exact same setup, which is confusing. When I say the exact same setup, I'm complimenting Robert Whitaker. I'm saying Jacare just doesn't know what to expect here. Fanking and fainting, he commits. Boom. Catches Jacare thinking that it's going to be the right hand. Because look, he's going to lean down here. 
He's got this hand cocked. Jacare puts his hands out thinking, I, I don't want to get hit with another one-two. And so uh, he leans to get out of the way of what he thinks is the right hand and just eats this clean. But this is not the one that finishes him. Somehow Jacare, being a tough bastard, hangs on. All right? He throws a push kick here, which you see Jacare parry a little bit later, but that's only to set up this one pushback, two over the top that cracks him. And these, by the way, come in very quick succession. Another part of Whitaker's game plan, was that he, or not game plan, but I should say the reason for his success was just how quick he was with his speed. This all takes place. I mean, look at the frame. The second doesn't even change. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, it all works. By the time Jacare gets hit, then a second has passed. So there's the speed element to it. Now, he throws a right here to crack Robert Whitaker that lands a little bit, but sort of another way he was confusing him here. All right? Hand down by here, but this time he throws it, gets him to drop his hands, to parry it, sets it up one, measures two, throws. Nice. All right? Now the end is near. Now look what's happening. Jacare has been backed up. And by the way, this is what this ultimate purpose was. I need to get you, not merely to get your hands down because we're going to strike in space. I want to get you backing up. I want to put hit a push kick. I want to throw a one. I want you to lean up tall. I want you to hit. I want to hit you and lean you up tall because we're right by that fence line. And by that fence line, you're not as good. And what direction does Jacare go on the fence line? Right? He goes that way. He goes to his left. Here is Jacare. This is that look. See this UFC post here? That's what this is right here. You can kind of see the cameraman standing behind it. He's waiting that direction. So what is Robert Whitaker going to do? He's going to flash. He doesn't even flash it up the middle this time. He flashes it to the side, and you can see cocks the hand. So what is Jacare thinking? Jacare is going to do the same thing. Put his hands out, maybe in an X position, maybe kind of trying to lean out of the way. As this punch comes this way, he wants to lean out that way to get away from it. But as he thinks this is coming this way, and as he wants to lean out that way to get away from it, just like this, boom, that's what happens and closes the freaking show. And you know what happens up after here. He follows up nicely. We talked previously about whether the referee stoppage was okay, but you get the idea. This was really, really smart from Robert Whitaker. He had the right game plan. He used the right kind of distance, and he put everything from a similar position from his body about whether he was going to throw left hooks to the body, left hooks to the head, one-two, a two-one, which he also threw. I didn't talk about it here, but uh, Dominic Cruz was like, after he not he, he rocked him with that first one-two, you'll say, watch him, he'll go with a two-one, which he does. Um... And you can go back in the slides and see that for yourself. I actually did capture it. Just, we just didn't talk about it in real time. But you get the idea. Just really had a nice game plan. Jacare, a really poor one. Stood up tall. Was stalking. But was way too defensive. Wasn't really going after that lead leg of Robert Whitaker. Which he really needed to, to cover that distance. And do a lot of everything else to sit on his punches. Never took it away from him. Was slow to react. Had defense that was just commonly uh, problematic for him. Both in the sense that it was the same thing over and over again. And two, um, that he never really got out of the way himself. The speed of Robert Whitaker giving Jacare all kinds of problems. So really just a kid who's coming into his own, who looks great at this weight class, who brings speed with him, and really more than that, brings with him a very camouflaged striking game. You know when he might be going to something because he has the same physical posture before he finally commits, but you have no real way of knowing which direction it's going to go. Pretty bang-up job by Bobby Knuckles here.
And last but certainly not least, let's take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead. Now, there's a lot of regional MMA. There's actually some decent UFC and Bellator. Take a look at this list that uh, was compiled by uh, Jeffrey James at Fight Times on Twitter. This is incredible. You have Combate Americas. You have a one event. You have, you know, FNG, Bellator, LFA, K1 World Grand Prix, M1 Challenge, uh, Absolute Championship Barracoot is back. You have Brave, UFC Fight Night, which is the Swanson Lobov contest, Pancraze, Shuto, WFL, Kunlun, which of course is kickboxing, I believe, as well, uh, over in China. So you've got a lot going on. You can take a look at some of those more regional cards if you want. For me, I just want to pay attention, if I can, to the UFC card that's coming up and the Bellator card very quickly. Cub Swanson defeating Artem Lobov. Alaya Quinta is back, taking on Diego Sanchez. OSP versus Marcos Rogerio de Lima. John Dodson versus Eddie Wineland. It's a bantamweight contest. Joe Lazon versus Stevie Ray. Jake Ellenberger versus Mike Perry. That is your main card. On your prelim card, Talos Lightis versus Sam Alvey. Dustin Ortiz versus Brandon Moreno. Scott Holtzman versus Michael McBride. Jessica Penny versus Danielle Taylor. And then on Fight Pass, Alexis Davis versus Cindy Dandois. Brian Barbarina versus Joe Proctor. Hector Sandoval versus Matt Schnell. For your Bellator card, which will be on Friday, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, yes, at the Mohegan Sun. Daniel Strauss and Pitbull fight for the fourth time. Ilima Leigh McFarlane taking on Jessica Middleton. Ryan Quinn versus Saad Awad. AJ McKee versus Dominic Mazzotto. On the prelim portion of that card, Ed Ruth is on it. Tyrell Fortune is on it. Um, be on the lookout there. Okay, if you have any questions, email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. Please give me a like and a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Luke Thomas News. I really appreciate you guys watching. Subscribe to the channel, subscribe to my channel, and give this video a like, and uh, tell folks about it. I would really appreciate it if you would. Thank you so much for watching. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the fights.